0: So, if you have your Bibles, please turn them with me to John chapter 14. The theme for the day is I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. This is what Jesus was saying here. I looked at this verse numerous times. And I'm wondering, what is he saying? I don't know about you. I've read this, I've heard this preached on before. And yet it was like, I'm not getting the whole story here. What's going on? And the more I read, I realized the disciples were having a hard time understanding this. Let's pray. Before we go any further, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we have a copy today that we can learn, we can understand. We thank you we have the Holy Spirit who enlightens us and helps us to see the truth. Lord, we just pray now that every eye would see and every ear would hear. And the words on the pages would be illuminated that we might understand. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Like I said, I read this through numerous times. And a good way to start, usually, when you have a verse like this, is to look around it, to try to put it into context. And I've heard pastors say, it's concentric circles. Start close by and work out. And we're going to start that way. So when I went to verse 1 in chapter 14, I put my glasses on, I can see better. I hate these things, but get my age, you need them. He says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. There's a clue. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. When I look at a verse like this, we had some clues here, first of all, I would like to say. We know that he's at least talking to Thomas and probably more. And yet, somebody's not getting what's going on here. I remember seeing a movie years ago. And there's a one-liner from that movie that goes like this. What we have here is a failure to communicate. It wasn't a failure on Jesus' part to communicate. It was on a failure on the part of the disciples to understand what was going on. And that's what he's trying to show them. When I look at a verse like this, I said that earlier, but I'm going to say it again. I like to ask those W questions. Who, what, when, where, and why. So who's talking here? Well, Jesus. But he uses an interesting word. An interesting two words. I am. Anybody know who the I am is? Yes, you're right. We're going back to Exodus 3. Told you we'd jump around back there, guys. Exodus 3, we'll look at verse 13. When God said to Moses, remember, he's got a plan for Moses. He's going to use him to lead Israel Out of Egypt. Moses is not real interested in that plan. And he's kind of balked a little bit. God says, I've seen the affliction of my people, and I want to lead them out, and I want you to do it, Moses. Well, Moses was not real pleased. So he says, then Moses said to God, behold, and he says, look, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, the I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. He says, this is my name forever. And this is my memorial name forever. To all generations. It's a memorial weekend. God says, my memorial name to all generations. I am. So, Jesus is saying he's God? Don't the disciples know that? Haven't they spent three years with Jesus at this time? How could they miss these things? He also says here, I am the way. Well, God was the way to lead Mo- uh, Moses through his whole life. If you read that account, you'll see that. And he says, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. When you break this down, he says, I am the way, comma, and the truth, and the the life. It changes the way we look at it. It's like he's saying, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Makes one think. So, when I'm looking at names that talk about Jesus, truth is one of them. He is the truth. He's the Word of God, the Logos. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. You don't have to turn there. But it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word... Yeah, I got it out of order, didn't I? Amazing. So what do we know about the creation? He's just mentioned it here. If you turn to Genesis 126, and I'm going to actually read through verse 28. I know we hadn't planned on that. But he said... This is God speaking. Let us make man in our image. According to our likeness. Uh, there's a plurality here. So Jesus is claiming to be God. He's talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In this verse, we see that Let us make God in our image. They talked about these things. They were there at the creation. The complete God was there. I'm going to skip down to verse 27. God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Well, if God created a man, male and female, and he tells them to be fruitful and multiply, that kind of puts a damper in some of the things we're hearing today, doesn't it? Some of the movements that are out there. How can two men be fruitful and multiply or two women be fruitful and multiply it doesn't work does it so we learned a little bit about God at this point we'll go back to John 14 and I'm going to read verse 7 remember what he, Thomas had just said to him we don't know the way and he says, I am the way Verse 7, Jesus says to him, If you'd known me, you would have known my Father also, and from now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not come to know me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say to Show us the Father. Do you not believe that I am in the Father? There's those two words again. I am. And the Father is in me. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works of God themselves. And if you want a verse for the Holy Spirit, because he's talking about all three of them here. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. But you know him Because he abides with you and will be in you. This is before Pentecost. But these guys were around with the Holy Spirit. When I go back a little further, make that circle a little bigger. No, I'm not a press secretary. And we're not going to circle back. And look at it later. We're going to look at it right now. chapter 13. What's going on? Well, I'm going to tell you a little secret. This is the feast of the Passover. This is the Last Supper. And Jesus is meeting with his disciples and them alone. We'll start in verse 3. Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going to back God going back to God, excuse me, got up from supper, laid aside his garments, taking a towel, he girded himself, then he poured water into the basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, this is Peter speaking, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I do now you do not realize, but you will understand hereafter or later. Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Think about Moses. Take off your shoes, Moses. You're standing on holy ground. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. Verse 11 explains that, not all of you for he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet, verse 12, taken his garments, reclined at the table, again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? Odd choice of words, isn't it? Do you know what I've done to you? Anybody got any ideas? I'm hanging out to dry all by myself here. There's a pause right here, I believe. He waited for an answer too, and he didn't get it. Verse 13, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. They didn't know who the I am was. Hmm. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's. What? Wash his feet? Wash? I'm not going to wash Jim's feet. That's what we think. I'm not going to wash Jay's feet or Jeff's feet. Come on, man. Come on. (laughs) If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. What's he talking about? Is he talking about taking somebody's shoes and socks off in church and washing somebody's feet? I don't think so. What is he talking about? Have you wondered? Got a clue? for i gave you an example he says that you should also do as i did to you what did jesus do here he what he was humbling himself absolutely he showed them humility He says, I gave you an example that you do also as I did to you. You know, we have the Holy Spirit. We come here on Sunday mornings. We gather together. This is just a building. Am I correct? It's just a building. It's a building we choose to meet in. But is it anything special? When does it become something special? When we meet god says do not forsake the assembling of yourselves there must be a reason for that what is it well when pentecost came jesus had promised this holy spirit and that he would what dwell within us as believers and when he dwells within us that's great He becomes our conscience. He's he's the one that explains things that we don't understand. Just as the verse 14.6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's cumulative. Add all those things together and you're starting to get a picture of who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is. He says, just... Because it is cumulative when you gather together and you have the Holy Spirit and you're right with God. Multiplication takes place. That's why when you come in here and there's worship, all those things, you feel the presence of God because he is here in us through his Holy Spirit. A lot of people don't understand how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit works in a couple different ways. He worked in the Old Testament. He came upon people that God wanted to use. It was for a time. It was for a season. Pastor just talked about this. It's always for a time and for a season, okay? But when Jesus died on the cross and when Pentecost came, Anybody that's a believer is indwelled with the Holy Spirit. But let me ask you this question. How did you get to be a believer? There was a verse back there we read It says, he was the light and the darkness did not comprehend it. We were in darkness before we knew Christ. Before we believed. Think about it. The Holy Spirit comes on people yet today for one express reason, so they can see the truth, so they can make, I know pastor doesn't like this word, but I got to use it, so they can make a decision whether they're going to believe in Christ or not. But he lets you see the truth. And I believe he does that to every person that's ever lived. Think about that. God is awesome. He made a way. And we're the prime example of that way. He says in verse 15 again, I have given you an example that you should do as I did to you. Not wash your feet, but to remind you that you are a child of God. And remind those around you and that you have value. You have meaning. Truly, truly, I say unto you, verse 16, a slave is not greater than his master. Jesus proved that. So You see, normally when people would get together and have a function like this, they had a slave that would meet you at the door. They would have you remove your shoes and they would wash your feet. It's a kind of a tradition. And yet Jesus did this, not when they came in the door, but later on. He did that for effect. He did that so, ah, they would think about it. What's he doing here? So a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. He's also talking about himself and the Father God. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I speak to you all. I know the ones I've chosen, but it is the scripture that may be filled. Who eats my bread, lifted up his heel against me. He's talking about Judas. We're not going to look at the betrayal we're not going to look at how he pointed him out but he says in verse 19 from now on I'm telling you before it comes to pass so that my, when it does occur you may believe that I am yeah it says he there but it's in italicized so that means it's not an original word It was added in the translation. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Who sent him? The Father. For the express reason that God's people needed to be redeemed. We're going to skip down to verse 31 because we're not going to look at the betrayal and everything that went on. But he says here, Therefore, when he had gone out, that being Judas, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. What's he talking about? Is he glorified in that Judas has been named the betrayer and he walked out? No. He's talking about, he's actually talking about what's going to happen here real quick. Now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately after the crucifixion. Think about it. Little children, he says, I am with you. A little while longer, you will seek me. And I said, as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. We know where he's going. Right? Where's he going? To the Father. Absolutely. Absolutely. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Man, I think we just heard this the last couple of weeks too. That you love one another, even as I have loved you, and that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. You know, if we care one for another, people can see that. That's what this is about. If we want to see the cause of Christ go forth into the world, and we live in a pretty rotten place, it'll be by this, that we love one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Here it is again. These guys had no clue. They're not listening. Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. That's when we get back to chapter 14, where we started He says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. This verse, verse 6 here, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he summed up God's purpose in our lives. He summed it up. It's the whole package. It's right here. And these guys weren't getting it. Why do you think they weren't getting it? Like I said before, they'd been with Jesus for three years. They'd seen him perform miracles. They'd seen him raise the dead at this point. They'd seen him heal leprosy, a withered hand, A lame man. It's hard to understand. But I believe God let them be this way for another season for a reason. And that reason is he was calling them to some tough things coming up. He wanted them to be sure in their hearts going forward. He didn't need another Judas. And he knew they weren't going to do that. They weren't going to fail him. They weren't going to walk away. But he wanted them to be sure. You know, looking at this, it's like, wow. Is that the way it always went? It's not. It's not. There's another example in the Bible we're going to look at. Yep, that means another couple page turns again. It's still in the book of John, chapter 4. The subtitle here on chapter 4 says, Jesus Goes to Galilee. Well, where Jesus was at, for him to get to Galilee, he either had to go way around this place or go through it. And most Jews wouldn't go through Samaria there's a reason why they wouldn't go through Samaria. The Samaritans were of the northern tribe in years before they had been conquered by Assyria. And when they were conquered by the Assyrians, most of the men of fighting age, of working age, of slave age, were taken away and were taken back to Assyria. And in their place, the Assyrians sent some other guys, some of them Assyrians, some of them not. See, the Jews looked at them as half-breeds, even though they were half-brothers to the Jews. They looked at them as half-breeds. They didn't want to be around them. They thought that their false gods, that of the Assyrians and the others that came to live there, had infected them to the point that they were totally worthless. We know better. God never gives up on anybody. He doesn't care about our past, our heritage. Only that we believe in, trust in his son. So it says here in verse 5, he says, or verse 4 says, he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Well, the sixth hour to mean would mean something different than what it means here, if I didn't stop and think about it, if I didn't know how it works. First hour of the day starts at six o'clock in the morning. So, this, if you look at a clock, says it's noon. Okay? There came a woman, verse 7, of Samaria to draw water. Odd time of the day to be carrying a water pot, working so hard filling it full of water from a well that you got to pull the rope and the bucket up and pour into the water pot. Think about that. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. What we're doing here going is gonna, we're going to contrast her reaction and the result and the disciples up to this point. He says, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away in the city to buy food. Poor planning on their part does not make it an immediate. I don't know if you've heard that before. It's not yeah, immediate that I go and do this too, Jesus thought. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you being a Jew ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans, as we know, because they're looked at as being Half-breeds. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. God's making a way. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? This woman's smart, she's asking a lot of questions. And she asks a bunch more. But listen here. How do you get this water? She asks. You've got nothing to draw with. He says, or she says to him, You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us this well and drank from it him himself? and his sons and his cattle. Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. So I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. See, it was enticing. She liked the sound of it. But she wasn't quite sure what he was talking about yet. He said to her, Go, call your husband, and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you are with now is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. I've heard it said many times that she was trying to change the subject here. She's not changing the subject. She's recognizing he's something special. And she's proclaiming it. She's she's stating it. I perceive that you are a prophet, she says. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. How did she connect this guy that she just called a prophet with worship? I think she's got an inkling who this is. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. You people say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. Mm. Our fathers. She's talking about the old men that were left that took the sheep up into the mountains to graze them. She's talking about that here. And while they were up there, they didn't forget who their God was. But that's the only place where they could worship. And it was a wild worship from what I have read. They only had a short period of time during the day when they were away from their captors. And they took a lamb and they slaughtered it. And the blood flew every place. And there was much revelry, but they worshiped God. They didn't care. They weren't like the Jews of the day. They weren't like the Pharisees. The Pharisees, everything had to be done just so. Everything this way, this way, this way. And if you just said one word wrong, you had to start all over. They didn't care. They wanted to worship God. And this was the only opportunity that they had. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. In other words, you don't have to go to either place to worship the Father. He's talking about the Holy Spirit is going to fill you, indwell you in the future, and you can worship wherever you're at. You worship what you do not know, he says to her. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. He's right. He's a Jew. He's the salvation. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. You see when she talked about her father's worshiping on the mountain, they worshiped in spirit. Man, they were wild. There wasn't no Pentecostal revival, I can tell you that, but they were wild. They worshiped, they only had a few minutes, and they made the best of it. And we know how the Jews worshiped. Yeah, to the letter of the law. He says, But an hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Hallelujah. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. Did she change the subject here? Absolutely not. Listen to what she says. The woman says, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. And when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am who speaks with you. He says, I who speak to you am. And it says, am he here, but the he has been added. In other words, he's saying, I am the one who speaks to you. At this point, the disciples came. Oh, this is breaking the action here. Change of scenery. The disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, What do you seek? Or why do you speak with her? They were oblivious to what was going on here, I'm telling you. So the woman left her water pot and went into the city. Can you imagine? She's not a rich person. In fact, she's probably a very, very poor person. She left her water pot. Why would you leave a water pot? Didn't you cart the thing all the way out there and fill it up with water? You're going back to the city? Why would you leave it there? Got any ideas? Why would you leave it? She was excited. Why? What's that? She met Jesus. She knows it. And I like what it says here. And she said to the men, she didn't go to the women. She didn't go to the leaders. She went to the men that were standing around at noon, gossiping. She said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all the things I've done. And she asks a very important question. She always asks questions. This is not the Christ, is it? Wow. Wow. The reaction of the men tell you. Verse thirty, they went out of the city and they were coming to him. They were going to see Jesus. Why do you think that is? Just because she said, Come see a man and has told me all the things I've done? That's exactly why they were going. Some of them might have had been with her a time or two. Think about it. They went out of the city, and they were coming to him. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, the old westerns would show, verse 31, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. And he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So it's not it's not about food. It's about doing what God's called me to do. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, he says, Look! I say to you, lift up your eyes, look on the fields, that they are white for a harvest. people yeah. need to hear the gospel already verse 36 this is this is something we've got to see already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal rewards who's getting rewards How does he know? Verse thirty, they went out of the city and were coming to him. He saw them, so that he sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. He says, for in this case, the the saying is true: one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for what you have not labored; others have labored, and you have entered into their labor or wages. He's saying. She got it. They didn't. And the proof, here it comes. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. He stayed there two more days. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the savior of the world. Her testimony. if we have received Christ as Lord and Savior and we're here today, we all have a testimony. We all have the ability to share that testimony and it's usually by the testimony of man and the work of the Holy Spirit that people come to believe. Isn't it? You see, this is the way it's supposed to work. Like I said before, there was a reason why the disciples weren't there yet. But this proves we can have the same effect on people that she did. She was lowly by birth because she was a Samaritan. So she went to her own people. Man. God, Christ told the disciples, start in Jerusalem and work in those concentric circles that get bigger and bigger and bigger for a reason. Yes, he also said that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. But even in Portage, Wisconsin, I don't know everybody that's here. And they don't know me. And they don't know you. And maybe they do. And maybe that's why they'll listen to you. Because they've seen something in you that they want. They want that living water. When I was at the county highway department, I had a guy that seemed like every day his tractor would break down. Every day. I mean, this guy, he must be just Mr. Destructo. And I hope you're not here this morning, Dan. (laughs) Last time I spoke, he was here. But Dan would call on the radio, get a hold of dispatch, and they'd send me out. Dan's broke down at such and such. He needs a tire. Or he broke the front hub off his tractor. And I'd go out. Dan saw something in me that he wanted. I can't repeat the words he used. But one day, five times, I was from one end of the county to the other with my service truck working on his mower. And I always answered his questions. He was like this woman... He had questions. And one day, one day he understood. Christ became his Savior. Hallelujah. Crude guy, neat guy. God uses all of us. He works in all of us. I want to read the words of a song that I wrote down some time ago. I've known this song for years. He says, "This was a, a guy named Mark Mark Altrogi. I guess that's the way his name is pronounced." In 1987, he wrote the first verse in the chorus to this song. He says, "You are beautiful." beyond description, too marvelous for words, too wonderful for comprehension, like nothing ever seen or heard. Who can grasp your infinite wisdom? Who can fathom the depths of your love? You are beautiful beyond description, majesty enthroned above. The chorus goes, And I stand, I stand in awe of you. I stand, I stand in awe of you. Holy God, to whom all praises due. I stand in awe of you. Verse 2 goes, and he wrote this some years later. Someone asked him, knew him, if he would write a verse, a second verse to this song, because they were doing an Easter passion play and they wanted a little bit more. He says, You are beautiful beyond description, yet God crushed you for my sin. In agony, in deep affliction, cut off that I might enter in. Who can grasp such tender compassion? Who can fathom this mercy so free. You are beautiful beyond description, Lamb of God, who died for me. Let's pray. Father, you are awesome. You sent your Son for us. Lord, not just so we could be saved, but so the whole world could hear and they could be saved. Lord, help us to be your servants as Christ was to those he washed their feet. Help us to love one another so the world can see. Help us, Lord, to turn to you that you might work through us that you may embolden us to speak to those around us. Loved ones, family, friends, neighbors, whoever it might be, Lord. Point us in the right direction. May your Holy Spirit have a free will in our lives. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen.